Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Tomasetti Talks episode two, where we will be looking at the live discussion forum that took place today. Um, I did want to, uh, you know, if you listen to the first episode with Dr. Erkenswick and myself, we had a little discussion uh, interview where I was interviewing him on his experiences with the illegal gold mining in the Peruvian Amazon. Today, I gave a live forum discussion in conservation biology and practice uh, class that I was supposed to record. It was supposed to record that live forum so you could see the presentation, you could see the interactions. And basically, if you weren't able to attend, you could attend by watching this video. Now, somebody forgot to record it. That somebody's name uh, is Mr. Tomasetti. It was me. It was my fault. <laughs> but that's okay. I'm going to just, I'm going to go through the presentation like I did earlier. I have the data download still available that was the interactive portion. So we can basically go through the, the presentation like it originally was. Um, I will say I do enjoy, you know, public speaking a bit and, you know, the live discussion forums. I, I do really enjoy it. It makes you get out of your comfort zone a little bit. And, you know, that being said, there was a couple of hiccups today that I noticed with myself that I would do a little differently. So maybe today or maybe with this one, um, it'll be a little bit smoother. It's going to be the same information, though. So same information, less perspiration. So uh, with that, I'm going to try to share my screen here. And we will uh, we will get going. So yeah, great. Let's see here. We'll go over here. Share the presentation. Awesome. I'll probably be moving this around a little bit so you can still you know, see me interacting. And I don't know, I talk with my hands a little bit, but you, I really want the, the presentation is, is the big part. So like I said, I'm going to just do this like I did earlier. So hopefully um, you guys can get the gist of exactly, you know, what that discussion forum looked like. Good morning, everyone. You know, my name is Edward Tomasetti, and I am a fisheries, wildlife, and conservation biology student here at NC State. If you have been following these discussion forums over, you know, the past couple of weeks that have been done by other conservation biology and practice students, you know everyone's been doing a great job. So me going last, the pressure is definitely on here. But today I will be talking about something that is near and dear to my heart. And I don't think it gets the attention it needs um, or deserves. And that is the illegal gold mining in the Peruvian Amazon. And because I don't feel like it gets the attention it deserves, my, my goal here today is to plant a seed in your brain. You know, I want to make people aware of the situation in Peru while uh, stressing the importance of change. I hope that this seed I am planting will grow into a larger con conversation. I do have a lot of information that I want to share today, so I've set aside some time at the end for open discussion and questions, but I want to let you know now that if you have any questions um, that don't get answered, there's no need to worry. I'm going to be publishing uh, a follow-up blog in a few days, so that gives you time to, you know, I'm going to put up my email. You can send me an email. You can put questions in the chat. Um, there will be a um, live 
Q&A at the end. So, so no worries. If you're in Zoom land and have any questions, please feel free to uh, put them in the chat. I'm going to do my best to get to them today. But like I said, the publishing of the, the post forum blog will direct all the direct answers to all those questions. Um, so with that being said, uh, like I said, we have a lot that I would like to get through. So we're going to dive right in. And the first thing I want to do is I want to take a poll. So if you can, um, we're going to swing over to menti.com. Uh, you can go to menti.com and enter the code. It is also in the chat. But or you can if you take your phone and scan that QR code, that'll bring you right to the page. Nice and easy. So let me see if I can get out here and show you what we did as far as on Menti. Yep. So what I had everyone do, let me see if I can present, there we go. Present anyway. All right, so I had everybody hop on here and what we did at first, there was uh, the first question I, I wanted to know, who owns gold? Uh, do you own gold? Do you, own, do you have jewelry, decorations, coins, anything that you may own um, in your possession that is gold? I'm curious about. Uh, most people said yes. Um, some people said no. And some people said, I don't know. Personally, me, I'm unsure. I have gold, quote unquote, things, but is are they real? I have, I don't know. So this was basically just to lay a little foundation to see to see what we had out there. And then I asked uh, everybody is if you do own gold, do you know where that gold was or how or how or where that gold was harvested? Nobody knew the answer to that. You know, most people said, no, they don't. Uh, the few people that don't own gold said, I don't own gold. And then, uh, you know, also a significant amount of people said, honestly, I've never thought about it. Personally, that was me. I. I never really thought about one. I'm unsure if I had gold Two, I, I definitely didn't know where it came from if I do have it. So that was that. That was just a little baseline I wanted to get before jumping into, you know, the material a little bit more. Yeah, we will revisit, you know, what those numbers, uh, how those numbers come into play in, in just a little bit here. So then you know, moving on, I want to do a little bit of background information about the Peruvian Amazon. Um, the Peruvian Amazon lies east of the Andes. The Andes are, you know, a magnificent mountain range that stretches, uh, it stretches beyond Peru's borders, of course, but it goes all the way from North Peru to South Peru, you know, on that Western side there. And then on the East side of that mountain range is, is the rainforest. It's the second largest rainforest in the world. As far as area goes, it's part of the Amazon rainforest, which is the largest rainforest. And um, a significant amount of that lies in Peruvian territory behind Brazil, who has the, the largest area of Amazon rainforest um, in um, Brazil's borders. Now, it covers up 60% of Peru, but only 5% of Peru's population. So, you know, when you think about the rainforest, you know, it, it can definitely be a very difficult place to live. And that, and that is exactly the case. You know, not a lot of people live there, even though it does cover up uh, the majority of the land. 
Peru is one of the most biodiverse countries in the world. Uh, it's usually top five, top three in, in the entire world on biodiversity. It has the largest biodiversity of avian species and the third largest mammal biodiversity in the entire world. So definitely is a spot that we are very, you know, keyed in on as far as conservation goes. And, and we definitely want to preserve the, the, you know, the natural habitat of this. So a little bit, that's a little bit about the Peruvian Amazon. Now, what about gold in, in this area of Peru? So gold in Peru goes back, you know, the gold goes back, you know, thousands of years, you know, there's ancient artifacts that have been seen and found throughout the mountains of Peru, you know, that basically say that the gold's been around a long time. It is known to have been in these rocks that are on top of the Andes mountains. And then after hundreds and thousands of years of erosion have trickled down the mountains into, you know, that rainforest. We don't see much gold on the west side of the Andes because if you go west of the Andes uh, on Peruvian territory, it's a coastal desert. So the, how it breaks down the sediment is just different and it's sand. So, excuse me. So the east of the Andes in that rainforest is where we see that gold rich soil. Now the rainforest gold was first found around the 1950s and then shortly after there was a, a gold rush where you know people were basically pan sifting like this gentleman here to the bottom right. Um, you can see not this would not have a lot of effect on the ecosystem but definitely is going to take a lot longer as far as harvesting gold and trying to make a living off it. And then as people continued to do that, the practice of gold mining more and more, there were implemented some commercial gold laws, basically just putting a tax on some regulations, making sure that, well, trying to make sure that you're not disrupting much of the ecosystem. Um, but, the, you know, there wasn't a keen narrowing down of you know what's going on and everything it was basically just a couple laws being like do this and don't do that but there wasn't really you know much governmental influence on monitoring those laws either so the second gold rush of Peru happened around 1980s this is just where people started using a little bit more machinery to expand the gold that was harvested you know trying to optimize you know how much they're taking in for how much time they're putting in um, but it really was uh, around 2007 where this current gold mining crisis that we're, we're currently seeing took off. And that all took off because there was a perfect storm. There was a perfect storm for this current gold mining crisis. Let me move this up here a little bit. Um, so one of the things that happened was the price for gold, you know, the economic value of gold went through the roof around 2007. And then 2008, the economy crashed. Um, most of us were alive for that. And remember how hard, you know, those years following that, the 2008 economy where a lot of people lost their jobs, lost their livelihoods, and really needed to figure out a new way to support their family. On top of all of that, there was in 2011, the construction of the Transoceanic Highway. This transoceanic highway goes from the west coast of Peru um, all the way up and through the Andes 
and then cuts southern Peru basically in half through the Madre de Dios area, which is uh, a big portion of rainforest. And you can see that um, highway is outlined in red here, and you can see where it goes up into Brazil. And actually, it doesn't stop at Brazil. It cuts through Brazil as well. It cuts all the way from the west coast of Peru all the way through South America. It's basically just cuts it in half and basically grants access to these remote areas of the rainforest that people previously didn't have access to. That rainforest is basically uncharted areas at this time, but the construction of this highway allowed people now, you know, access to this area. So with that, we started seeing mining towns just pop up. Uh, they had access, they could get deep into the forest, they could get to this new uncharted areas by using this highway. So they would, you know, settle down for a little bit. These weren't permanent towns. They're not, you know, heavily constructed establishments. Um, they're pop up, use the area, get the gold out and go on to the next one. Uh, one of, you know, if you do some research on it, you're going to come across La Pampa being one of the most prominent areas in the Madre de Dios area that was a, a large illegal gold mining town. And let me let me give you some some visuals on what those towns look like. Yeah, here we go. So looking at these, these are just some examples of what those pop-up towns can can look like. As you see here, not well constructed. There's you know no foundations being poured or anything like that. They're basically you know, makeshift pop up exactly what it is. That's a pop up town. They, you know, use, you know, whatever resources they can as far as, you know, different trees and um, sticks, pieces of wood. And then a lot of what the walls and the top are, are, you know, heavy tarps, basically just to keep them protected from the elements so they can use the area and then leave. And they basically just leave it behind because there's not a lot invested there. So in order to, you know, really understand the different uh, effects of the mine and the different conservation issues going into it, we, we definitely need to under, have a good understanding, good foundation of how these mines work. And so I'm gonna run through the different steps real quick, um, but then I'm gonna break it down in the next slide. So um, if you think I'm going too fast, just, just wait a little bit because, because we are gonna explore each and every um, step here uh to the right is a picture um of you know what these mines sort of look like you can see how they have you know different engines and generators that pump water up and down sloughs and um this is this is basically what an operation looks like but by the end of these next few slides you're gonna understand how it works but it starts with deforestation cutting down the forest making um room for land now they used to basically just have these operations on the side of a river. So you didn't really need to um, do much with the, you know, removing of the forest because you were using the erosion and the flow of the river to bring you new sediment. Now with, uh, you know, it being more illegal and more police then they are moving, these operations are moving into the forest a little bit more. So, they are cutting down the forest and they use a high water, high water pressure to blast away sediment and create a pit. And in this pit is what they are going to pump 
up and through the filters and things of that nature. They then, you know, the sediment that has been pumped up is now ran over sloughs, which will you act as a filter, which will filter out that gold. Um, and then with little gold particles that may be too small for even you to notice what they are, it's all added to a bin added with mercury. The mercury has a chemical component that binds with gold and then allows it to be separated in larger nuggets. So then what you're left with is just a pile of, of gold flecks. So going into this a little bit more, this I wanted you to see a picture of a riverside operation. As you can see, there really isn't one of those mining pits that we're gonna talk about. They're using the river to you know, use that natural current, that natural flow and erosion to you know, basically pump up that, they still use a pump to pump the sediment up from the bed of um, the river. And up here is then where it is going down those sloughs. Um, but I did want you to give this for reference. If you listen to the podcast with Dr. Erkenswick and myself, he talks about double story mining operations that he saw, you know, a few years ago in Peru. My summer in Peru and travels up and down the, the rivers, I did not see those because um, like I did say, there is more policed areas. We're gonna get into the, the policing agents a little bit later on in the presentation, but because it is monitored a bit more now, you don't, they don't wanna spend time making these large operations. They'd rather have these pop-up mines where they can go in, use it quick, and you know maybe use it for a few days and move on to another area. But like I said, it starts with deforestation. I don't wanna to get too much into you know, deforestation as you know, conservation enthusiasts, you know, we know different um, issues around deforestation, especially in the rainforest. We know the, rain, the Amazon rainforest is basically the lungs of the, the earth and you know, the negative side effects that come with you know, basically cutting it down. But that's the way it starts. And then they, like I said, they use that high pressure wash. They want to blast away some of those top layers of sediment and create a pit. And then when they're in the pit, then they blast away the sides and it gets down into that deeper sediment level that, you know, has been depositing gold over hundreds and thousands of years. So this is what a pit looks like. You see over here, the overburden is what is referred to, you know, that untouched natural forest that should be there. This area of the pit was, you know, the forest was cut down and removed. And then as they blasted away water, it creates a pit where, you know, now if they were to stand here around the tailing pond and, you know, basically spray that high pressure water along the sides, it's going to turn that soil and basically dissolve the organic material. And it's all going to run down into this tailing pond. And then they're going to pump the sediment from that tailing pond through the, the mine filter and the sloughs. And that's what will filter out the inorganic material that is still there because it wasn't diluted with that high pressure wash. So the filtering uh, comes up next. You know, it's pumped up, pumped up one side of the mine using those, you know, generators and mobile engines and then it's let flow down this slough which is usually uh, lined with carpet or fabric of some sort which will 
hold on to the inor the small inorganic material. There usually is a filter down here at the end so water can run through, but the inorganic material will be caught. And then once they do that, they add it all into a bin here. It's added into the bin because a lot of times after, you know, so many years of erosion, some of this gold isn't, you know, big gold nuggets, um, you know, like you would find diamonds and things of that nature. Sometimes it's as small as, you know, um, sand particles. So you really don't even know what it is. But when you put it in this big bin, you add mercury. Now, mercury has the chemical, um, has a chemical component that links on, attaches and binds with gold. So with that being said, you put, you know, the sediment that you think has gold in it in this bin, you add a little bit of water and then you dump mercury in. And then one of the miners gets right in there and starts stomping around. You know, you stomp around in it. You really want to do this thoroughly to make sure the mercury has the opportunity to touch, you know, any possible gold that's in that bin and it will bind with it. It will hold it together. Now you can see here, this this gentleman working the mine and you know mixing that mercury he's doing it you know his bare skin is touching that mercury like he is completely exposed to you know any side effects that come along with you know using that mercury in these mining practices as you see here to the right this is what the gold nuggets look like that you know you can see that it is goldish and you know color and appearance it might not be as shiny as normal that's because there's a lot of mercury in that nugget that's what's holding it all together so it's a nugget of gold and mercury so now the mercury is unwanted the gold is what has that economic value so they want to like separate it now now that it's brought the gold together now they want to take out the mercury and they do that by adding heat if you put this nugget, you know, under intense heat, it will break down that nugget and the mercury turns into a liquid and eventually adding enough heat turns it into uh, a vapor. It evaporates into the air, which what you're left with is just the gold. You'll have a pile of gold. It looks like sand, but it's a little sand pile of gold, sometimes small nuggets in there, but that allows you to put it in a bag and that's, you know, that's the whole purpose of everything. So as you can see, the different the mercury was either absorbed by the miner because they were in there completely exposed to the elements. After that miner was done, the gold nuggets were extracted, but that the rest of that mercury is just dumped back into the ecosystem, whether that's in the water or it gets in the soil, it's just dumped back into the environment. And then this step makes uh turns that mercury into an airborne vapor that you know that's just in the air it's in there for us to breathe it gets you know in the clouds comes down as precipitation there's many different things that happen but that being said now we know how the mines work we can start to talk about the environmental effects like we said deforestation is you know definitely a leading issue as far as rainforest conservation goes and that comes with uh, a lot of negative effects that you know advance climate change and i don't want to get too much into that because that can be said about a lot of different issues regarding 
rainforest deforestation that you know we have like a, i believe most of us have base knowledge about but what i do really want to talk about is you know how you know this mercury contamination and some different things there but so the big thing is not only does the gold mining start with the deforestation but the methods used to extract and separate the gold leave lasting effects on the ecology of the rainforest after miners cut down the forest they go below the soil surface which is called that mineral soil like right there on top that um the biologically active level of soil that's there on top they go beneath that so deep that there is not much scientific research to know if the forest can recover there are current studies taking place to see if plants can grow back in mercury contaminated areas that were previous used for mining but there, there's no definitive answer yet you know these areas of once thriving forests are now barren wastelands of mercury pools and nutriently depleted soil that could take hundreds if not thousands of years to to grow back um and so so that's definitely an issue uh another thing is with these barren wastelands there is a loss of habitat between the deforestation and now the forest not growing back that habitat is lost there is less habitat for you know wildlife to use live interact with basically the ecological scale in these areas are just shifted to basically areas that you cannot you know inhabit and then with leading leading on from you know this mercury contamination in the area you know besides the forest not growing back what else do you have well you do have what is concerning is called methyl mercury when mercury is dumped into the water systems the the rivers you know the you know different lakes and things of that nature uh it mixes with the you know natural makeup the natural fungus uh the natural chemicals that are in those area those areas of water and it creates what is called methyl mercury and methyl mercury is very um concerning because it, it methyl mercury is absorbed by living organisms by at almost uh, a rate of a hundred percent so i know that seems like okay what are we actually talking about here so i'm gonna just think about mercury entering the food system as you know mercury itself getting eaten by a fish you know that fish absorbs a lot of of the mercury but if it's the chemical makeup of methylmercury, it's basically going to absorb 100% of that mercury. And the other thing is mercury bioaccumulates as it moves up the food chain. So one small fish eats a little bit of methylmercury and it absorbs at 100%. The next fish is exposed to the mercury in the ecosystem, but then also eats that smaller fish and eats another smaller fish and another one. So by the time it has eaten five fish that were also exposed to the mercury elements it has five times plus itself six times the amount of you know um, mercury contamination is now in that fish so as it goes up that food chain 
the mercury, it, like I said, it bioaccumulates and methylmercury being absorbed at 100%. So that brings it brings us on to, you know, where do the effects on humans, you know, it's affecting the ecosystem so much, you know, what, what are we doing to people? Let me see if I can move this out of the way here. Okay, no, that was a good spot for it. All right. So, oh, wait, I went a little too fast. Hold on, let me back up for a second here. So I did, uh, so just to look at these photos quick, there's a river here that goes on the top right-hand picture. This river flows horizontally through this picture and all this other area, these pools of no forest, those are, those are old mining pools of, you know, mercury contaminated water and soil. You can see how devastating that looks and what it is supposed to look like. And then in the bottom here, it's a little bit closer view where you can actually see this, the, the mining town that has popped up and they basically use all of the area that they can and mine and take what they want. And what is left is this heartbreaking <laughs> barren wasteland of, you know, once thriving forest. So I didn't want to skip over that before explaining those, those visuals. So yeah, the effects on humans. We talked about the mercury bioaccumulation as it goes up the food chain. So what are some effects on that? Well, first of all, we want to talk about the miners. The miners are directly exposed to the elements of mercury. So side effects from that are hearing loss, loss of eyesight. You know, it's basically poison. Um, so they, they have a high well, a high, a decreased life expectancy. It's not known that, you know, if you work three years in the mine, you're going to die at this age or anything like that, but it has been seen to significantly decrease, um, you know, about how long people live. If you spend a lot of time in the mines, you're going to die at, a, at an earlier age. It has a large effect on fetuses and younger children because they are smaller. Uh, you're just, you know, a smaller being taking in that that basically it's like poisoning themselves and it attacks the central nervous system. It lowers brain function and IQ. Um, and like it still has those effects of hearing loss and eyesight. It can still lead to complications and those things, even though you're not directly, directly involved in the mining process, it's just seen more prominent in, in the miners. So over, over here to this, uh, this diagram we see, it sort of explains how the mercury gets into the ecosystem. You have the mine here, the, the miner working. You can see the burning uh, HG is the symbol, uh, the chemical symbol for mercury. And the MEHG is chemical makeup of methylmercury. So you see the mercury become airborne from those vapors. You see the mercury get into the water and then into the soil. And as it goes down the water, you know, mixing with the elements in the water, it turns into that methylmercury. That methylmercury gets into the soil, gets into the fish. The mercury that was airborne comes down in precipitation. We're exposed to it that way. And then eventually, you know, it could be hundreds of miles away, but mercury is ending up on, you know, the plates of people, not just the indigenous people that live in the rainforest, but these um, 
you know, contaminated fish or, you know, different sources of food are ending up on people's plates and they're, they're being exposed to, you know, mercury contamination without being anywhere near uh, these mines. So it's definitely a big issue as far as, you know, conservation goes, um, you know, wildlife, the effects on the ecosystem and the effects on people itself. So something I did not want to, I'm going to move this down here for a second, just so you can see this. Um, this is not something that I wanted to spend a lot of time on, on, but I do think that when you're dealing with conservation issues, you really need to know exactly what you're getting yourself into. You need to know all angles. Um, so when you can look for viable solutions and with illegal gold mining communities, you have increased criminal activity. Um, it was no surprise to me to see instances of corruption, exploitation, and bribery and blackmail. But I was surprised to see how prominent child labor was uh, in these mines. And um, what was, that was devastating enough. What was even more devastating is the human trafficking aspect. These, you know, some of these mines are just um, guys in the middle of the forest, you know, no really, you know, like we said, only 5% of the population. So there's not really a lot of interaction as far as people goes. There's a lot of human trafficking that comes down from the mountains. And um, basically these mining towns are just, you know, integrated with, you know, a lot of other criminal activity. Um, so like I said, I, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on that. You know, it is something that's very important when dealing with this, but for the sake of this presentation, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to move on. So the governmental impact, this is, this is big because uh, a lot of things going on here with this. I will move this so you can see um, this picture behind here in just a minute, but the Peruvian government is not fully against all gold mining. You know, gold mining can be done in a way where the forest can regrow and they do feel that they can't continue to be a beggar on a sitting on a gold bench, which basically they're saying we have a way to, you know, bring in money and, you know, support, you know, our citizens rather than just being like, okay, can someone give it, someone help us out, someone give us money. But the way in which these illegal miners are mining and affecting the ecosystem, they realize is completely, not good. Um, they, they know that that needs to stop and it needs to be better regulated. So under President Martin Vizcarra in 2018, there was implementation of a new task force called Operation Mercury. Operation Mercury sent out 1,800 army and police officers. They were dispatched to seven different locations throughout the Peruvian Amazon. And their sole purpose is to go out there and investigate and track down leads of illegal gold mining operations. Every day they are out in the field, traveling by river and then, you know, hiking, you know, miles into the forest to police these areas. Um, Dr. Karina Gray is the chief environmental prosecutor, which was appointed this position to specifically prosecute illegal gold mining. So she is out there often um, overseeing a lot of the operations that are going and how they're handled and making sure that things are going the way they should. And 30,000 miners have uh, lost their livelihood due to 
you know, this Operation Mercury. And I will address this later, but not because I'm doing this, um, you know, this is not, wasn't the live presentation. I do have the ability to address a question um, that I see that was put in the chat. And that question was from Robert Brown, who said 3,000 legitimate miners lost their livelihoods or 3,000 illegal miners were arrested. And then he said, if there were legitimate miners, why did they lose their jobs? So this is specifically illegal miners. Um, there is legal mining operations that do go on in Peru. And what I realized with that, though, the ones that are legal that do not get arrested, they are doing things in a more in a way that doesn't harm the ecosystem like this. So I'm focusing on the eagle eagle miners. So these 30,000 miners that lost their livelihood were doing it illegally. Um, like I said, at the end of this um, and in the follow-up um, blog post, I'm going to address uh, these questions as well, but I thought that was a good time to put that in there. Um, the current governmental standing is basically unknown. Uh, you know, the political climate of Peru has been up in the air lately. There have been four presidents in 2021. Um, so you see a lot of changing hands. And the current president, Pedro Castillo, it's unknown where he stands as far as the illegal gold mining goes because his basically reason for being, a, you know, voted into being president was standing up for um, underrepresented communities, communities in the Andes and in the rainforest that are, you know, basically living in poverty. And he came from the Andes and, uh, you know, grew up very poor. But the issue is he has been linked to a lot of different corruption agencies and um, programs. So it, it will be interesting to see if he continues with Operation Mercury, because they are doing they are doing a good job. But one thing I also want to I'm going to I'm going to move this over here for a second. One thing I want to point out is what Operation Mercury does when they when they find these mines. You can see um, this worker here uh, with you know like a torch, a big fire torch. So what they do is they are sometimes miles up or down river miles into the forest and with limited resources so ideally what they would do would be break down all the mines and you know confiscate the the resources that were used but that's not feasible so they blow it up they set fire to the living quarters um you know those little pop-up shacks that you know maybe the miners are living in and they attach dynamite to the rig the mining rig itself and blow it up that, you know, they do this because, you know, some days they're investigating multiple mines, which are miles away, you know, and they really want to optimize, you know, the amount of time they have and finding. Sometimes if they get a lead on a, on a mine, they have, you know, very limited time to go and, you know, get that before those miners catch wind. Like I said, there's corruption, there's bribery, you know, so their window to execute, you know, these raids is very small. So, they don't take the time to dismantle everything. And they realize that if they left it as it was, within a day or two, there's miners that just come in and pick back up where the arrested miners left off. So their solution to that is setting, setting them on fire and blowing the mines up. So 
that I'm going to leave this here. That's a good spot. Um, so why do it? You know, we, we've reviewed as into how detrimental this can be for the rainforest, the ecosystem and, and the effects on people. So why, why are they still doing this? The big thing is the economic value, you know, the livelihood of these miners and different um, communities and families that, you know, live in poverty. And, and the, a lot of them come from the mountains of Peru, the Andes, you know, where the majority of livelihoods are made by being a farmer, but a farmer can make about 1200 soles per month. And that equals, so when I made this, it equaled about $350 a month, but that exchange rate has um, gone up a little bit. So it's about 1200 soles per month is about $300 US dollars right now. And, you know, we know that that's not a lot of money, you know, but miners, they can make up to a thousand soles, you know, per week. So you're seeing at least three times the amount of money that farmers make a miner can make within the month. So it, it allows them to bring in, you know, more money to support their family. Another thing I do want to talk about as far as livelihood goes is the COVID-19 COVID and how that affected these mines. As you, you know, 2018 Operation Mercury, you know, really cracked governmental crackdown, you know, arresting 30,000 illegal miners and really making headway in, in that um, illegal gold mining issue. Operation Mercury up until COVID saw a 92% decrease in deforestation due to illegal gold mining. Um, but when COVID hit, there was a, another mining boom. And that was because there's no tourism. In the Andes and in the rainforest, one of the biggest you know, ways to make a living is through tourism. And when the borders were shut down and COVID was shut down, everyone that worked in tourism had no way to make a living and support their family. So they were forced to go and work in the mines. The mines did not shut down. Not only did they not shut down, they multiplied. And you had all these people going to work in the mines. Now, as you see here, this figure to the bottom right um, part of your screen, you know, through 2014 to 2019, you had anywhere between three and four and a half million people coming in to enter as a tourist so that is a lot of different ways you know as far as restaurants tour guides you know things that you know revolve around tourism you know bringing in money and then you see in 2020 you know covid shutting that down less than a million people were able to to be a tourist in peru so that sort of led to a balloon effect as far as operation mercury goes and trying to dismantle the illegal gold mining system. Because if you think about, if you have a balloon, say one of those long balloons that a clown does balloon art with, and you grab down and, you know, take away these mines, it's just gonna, it's not gonna pop the balloon. The balloon's just gonna, you know, blow out somewhere else. It's like as fast as they could arrest people, three times the amount uh, of people would be there the next day. So before Operation Mercury, Gold mining was very prominent, but after the COVID-19 shut down, three times the amount of uh, miners and mines were, were noted. So that was definitely a big thing. 
So as far as conservation efforts go, let's see where I can put this. I'm gonna cover, uh, this is just a recycle thing here. Um, you know, we know what recycling is. I'm gonna put this over here. As far as conservation efforts, you know, what, what can be done? We did discuss government uh, regulations, which is very big and we need to see where that goes from here. Another big thing would be reduced consumption. If you listen to the um, podcast with Dr. Erkenswick and I, when I asked, I thought this was gonna be a tricky question for him. I asked him what we could do to stop this. And he was like, oh, that's easy, stop buying it. And as great as that sounds, I know, you know, that's not feasible. That's not, you know, realistic as far as just stopping everybody's consumption of gold. So one thing we also could do is reuse and recycle. You know, a lot of us do have, you know, gold laying around. We can repurpose that. We can, you know, look to buy recycled gold. Um, you know, the, there, there's a lot that can be reused. Another thing is nature reserves. Nature reserves are very prominent in the Amazon rainforest because that rainforest is, you know, such a delicate and important ecosystem, you know, for, for world health. So over here to the right hand of the screen, you see different um, conservation groups that, you know, buy up land, have reserves. And if gold mining, gold miners are found on, you know, these, these private reservations and stuff like that, the repercussions are a lot more. So they do try to stay away from um, the private owned land. Another thing would be education, educating people on, you know, what is going on. Uh, you know, I sort of related to, you know, the, the blood diamonds, you know, and the, the, the diamonds of South Africa and, you know, educating people on that and making people aware of the situation. I think the same type of thing needs to be done with, you know, this issue in Peru. Um, and, you know, with that education, that was, you know, convincing others, convincing others to do the, the reuse and recycle and um, reduce consumption, it would be great. But something that consumers can do themselves, like that was basically directed towards us who are big into conservation. But an everyday consumer, you know, your neighbor, Joe, that, as an IT person that might not be aware of conservation, you know, efforts and stuff, what, what can they do? And there is something they can do. It's great. And so what I would say is don't buy it ideally, but like I said, I know that's not really feasible. I'm going to move this over here. Um, but when you do buy it, ask questions, you know, where did it come from? Where was it harvested? You know, uh, referring back to the poll that, you know, we started off this conversation with nobody knows where their gold comes from, but there is a way to know that there is a no dirty gold movement that was started by Earthworks. Earthworks, uh, you know, is an organization that they stand by this quote here at the bottom. We value clean water and land, healthy communities, human rights and safe environments. So they have a lot of different, you know, advocating, you know, programs that advocate for humans and the environment and, you know, more sustainable ways to do things. And there's no dirty gold movement, um, you know, brought together a, get this out here. brought together a lot of companies that can answer those questions. Now, how was it harvested? Where was it harvested? Um, you know, what effects it has on the ecosystem. And it's not just small, you know, mom and pop shops. Tiffany and Company is one of them. Zales, uh, you know, those are two large ones. Um, there are also some that will not 
no dirty gold certified. Um, I'm not here to bash any companies or anything like that. You can easily find out what those companies are with a quick um, Google search if you're interested and you know don't want to support those. Um, but I, I would say, you know, as an everyday consumer, having that no dirty gold certification is definitely a good way for you to, you know, still buy those, you know, luxuries that you like without, um, you know, supporting the, the negative effects of, of the illegal mines. Um, so now, you know, that was basically the information I had and I wanted to open it up to a little bit of a discussion. Um, we're going to swing back over to Menti. Um, or like I said, you can email me later. If you have questions that pop up, uh, and you want to discuss this more, my email is right there. I encourage you to please use it. That will, you know, even help me out as far as making the conversation bigger, which is my ultimate goal. So I'm going to, let me see if I can get out of here quick. No, there we go. And what we did is we went over to Minty. And I did want to know, given all the information that we just reviewed, what ideas do you have that can potentially make a breakthrough in Peru's gold mining issue? And we had a lot of good thing, a lot of good feedback come through. Um, health education and the effects of mercury, huge. When you know you see different interviews of some of the miners, and you know what are they working at? They, they're just a lot of them. You know, aren't educated on the different effects of mercury, so that is huge. Um, I definitely agree. You know, find an alternative to mercury that would be good. You know, government regulation that is going to be big coming up here in the next couple of years uh, to really see how how you know the switch in the political climate of Peru, you know, adjusts to um, its approach. Lab-grown gold. This was interesting because this is not something that I have um, thought about. I do, you know, referring to the diamond issue, I know that that is something that they do. I, I'm not sure about this. This is something I'm definitely going to look into. More economic opportunities for families in the Peruvian Amazon other than, you know, gold mining. That is huge because that is the main reason that people do it. So if we had, you know, a better way and like, um, or, a, you know, even mining in a safer manner that's safer for the ecosystem, it doesn't, you know, have to deforest the forest and then contaminate the land. Alternative mining techniques, huge. Yeah, that would be great. Set of specific legal mining sites. So there are. There are specific legal mining sites. The thing is, those are heavily regulated and, you know, it comes with a limit on what you do and the jobs you can get. So these illegal miners feel that they don't have those opportunities. But, you know, allowing the illegal miners to, you know, have a way to legally mine that doesn't do that, different regulations, I agree. Most people don't want to be decrupt or destroy the landscape of their home. Anyway, to get an additional income source seems like a good idea. Teaching miners coding or tech skills. Yeah, you're right. And a lot of people don't want to, you know, destroy the landscape. And like I said, they don't do it because they want to. They do it because they have to. So these are these are great. And I'm going to, you know, all of these we're going to look into a little bit more. I'm going to make a list of them all on on the blog post so you can see everything that people said. But I really appreciate all of that that feedback. That was that was great. And 
you know, I did open it up to discussion um, real quick. I'll just pop over here so you can see this. And the discussion uh, question that I did receive um, was from Ben and he had a good question, some good questions. And if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, let me think. One was who's pulling the strings on these mines? Who's funding it? Is it, you know, people in Peru? Is it, you know, foreign agencies? What's really going on? And the, the answer is really both. You know, there is some personal people that just put up their money and buy mining equipment and go out there and do it. But a lot of times there also is these foreign agencies that, you know, put up money and say, hey, if you go out and mine this, you know, I'll pay you X amount of dollars. Um, and that is where the figure of, you know, a thousand soles, you know, per week comes in. That's basically what the miners get paid. Many of the miners that are out working the mines are not the ones that are pulling the strings. So a big thing of gold laundering and money laundering is very prominent in, you know, this gold mining issue. It would be great to, you know, get to the source and, you know, try to shut down the, those sources. Um, there comes additional um, issues with that because that's a lot harder to do rather than to just catch someone in the act. But, and then as far as, um, there was a second question that Ben had. Oh, as far as conflict goes with, you know, is there conflict between miners and, you know, other Peruvians and things of that nature? And there is, and that relates back to the criminal activity. Um, like I said, uh, child labor, human trafficking, there is a big conflict there, but not everybody, not everybody is partaking in those, that criminal activity that is mainly, um, surrounded by these pop-up mining towns, people that have made it a life for people, let's say that, you know, work in tourism that because of COVID were forced into the mines. A lot of them, you know, are just there because they need to. And that being said, people understand their decision to do that. And there isn't much conflict. They are still, you know, respected and, you know, there's not much issues between those. So it's just like a different demographic of, you know, who's mining and for what reasons and, you know, what their lifestyles are. There was, um, uh, a couple questions in the chat that I was not able to get to. Um, and I do want to, um, because I have, you know, time here, I will, um, write answers, you know, in the blog post itself, but let's see what Robert Brown had a question. What are the mercury levels in the miners? So every miner is going to be different, but as far as, you know, what their job was, how long they're exposed to mercury and things of that nature. But a study that did go in and test miners and some of the indigenous people that live close to the mines, the mercury levels in them were thousands of times higher than the, um, healthy limit, you know, that, you know, mercury is healthy to some extent, as far as, you know, just eating fish and stuff like that, but thousands of times the, the healthy limit we saw in miners and the indigenous people that lived close by, uh, use satellite information or drones to find mines. This was, this wasn't a question. This was, um, you know, a possible solution. And this will be something that I will definitely dig deep into in the blog post because, 
that is something that they do. It is hard because the forest is a triple canopy forest. It is hard to find small mines in a rainforest. Now, when the areas get large enough, there have been, um, you know, satellites that can pick it, pick up now. And NASA was actually helping with that. So, um, yeah, there is some, some stuff going on there. Let's see here. Do we have anything else? Robert Brown also said chain of, chain of custody documents for gold like they have in the South African diamonds. Yes. Um, so the same thing. I think a hard thing with a hard or I do know a hard thing with that is sometimes companies get gold from all over. But that is one of the things that no, the no dirty gold movement is moving towards is having a better, um, you know, documentation system to know where that came from. I'm sorry about that. ESPN. Um, but yeah, so that, that was my, um, email. Uh, I want to encourage anybody to use that. I do want to leave. I left everybody today with a thank you. And I want to leave y'all with a thank you as well. Um, it's from a quote by my friend, the Lorax. Um, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. And I think that is just perfect for us working in conservation because it is us caring that makes a difference. And if we don't, nobody's going to do it. Um, so I do just want to say thank you to everybody for that. It is the week of Thanksgiving right now. So I hope everyone has a Thanksgiving. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, thank you to you know, all my other classmates that did a great job on their forums, learned a lot. Um, and like I said, there will be another blog post coming. So stay tuned for that. And yeah, thank you all so much.